Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about DARVO. But before we jump into that acronym, I want to take a moment to remind you of PeaceWorks University. You know, PeaceWorks University is our online membership community, and week after week, I tell you that if you're benefiting from the things you're hearing on the PeaceWorks podcast, well, you've seen nothing uh, until you've gone to PeaceWorks University. We have so many resources specifically designed for you to address domestic abuse from a gospel-centered perspective. Uh, so if you haven't joined PeaceWorks University, please visit chrismoles.org uh, and join today. We'd love to see you in there. We have a robust community of people helpers, and we'd love to have you be part of that community. So we received a question uh, regarding an individual who's taking the Men of Peace self-paced course. So if you follow PeaceWorks at all, you know that one of our services has been Men of Peace. Uh, and throughout all the evolutions of Men of Peace, uh, the most recent in recent years has been the Men of Peace self-paced course or the Men of Peace digital course. And it is what it sounds like. It's simply a online course uh, that men can take, um, men who identify as abusive or destructive and they want help, they can take this digital course, build a shepherding team, and pursue aspects of accountability and change. It's being used in a variety of different ways around the world. Uh, but today's question is in regards to something that happens occasionally, uh, and it happens not only in our work, but in um, almost every aspect of this work, you'll see something along these lines. And so the question goes like this, how would you approach a man who's taking your course but now plays the victim? Um, and the questioner goes on to ask about addressing DARVO. Now, uh, for those of you who may not know, um, D-A-R-V-O, DARVO, is an acronym, <clears throat> excuse me, that was made popular uh, among uh, sexual abuse work in addressing uh, sexual abusers and perpetrators. And it's kind of spread over other aspects of the work. And it's just an acronym that means deny, attack, reverse victim and offender. Deny, attack, reverse victim and offender. And it was used to just really identify one of the, you know, some of the key tactics that happen uh, when someone is confronted with their abuse. And so our questioner is saying that in this particular case, they're suggesting that DARVO is occurring. And part of the evidence of that is that an individual is taking the Men of Peace course and they are now just realizing that they're really the victim. And how would you approach uh, someone who does this? So let me begin with just all the years of doing this work. And I think anybody who's been in this work for a long time would echo this. Um, of all of the aspects of power and control of all of the tactics that are common 
among abusive individuals. And, and if we just go back to, say, the Duluth model, which is kind of the most commonly known rubric, if we just take the power and control wheel, the one slice of that wheel, the one slice of the pie, the one spoke of the wheel, that's probably seen more than any other. It's often referred to as the tip of the iceberg. It's usually the first thing that you encounter in an intervention is what they called minimization, denial, and blame. That a perpetrator, when held accountable, when pushed back against, when challenged, tends, not always, sometimes you have guys who are just incredibly receptive, but for the most part, I would say the majority of folks, as soon as you begin addressing the abuse, they will meet you with minimization, denial, or blame. So they will attempt to make the abuse or the abusive behavior less than it is, to lighten the load through things, language like it wasn't that big of a deal, or this is being blown out of proportion, or that wasn't the way it happened, or um, this is not what it sounds like. And there's a reframing of the narrative that happens at that point. And this is where a lot of counselors uh, in particular get in trouble because they end up uh, giving the new narrative, the restructured or reframed narrative, the same weight as the disclosure. And for some of us in the biblical counseling world, unfortunately, we will give it the same weight as scripture. And so we'll have three narratives. We'll have the victim's story, his story, and God's story. And of course, I would suggest that God's story um, is is superior. It's it's the first story, the standard by which we operate. But back to the idea of uh, MBD or, or minimization, blame, and denial here. Uh, minimizing is a key tactic. One of the first ones that you'll see, as is blame. Uh, and blame can occur in a variety of ways. It can be outright shifting of the blame. Um, I'm actually the victim here. And that happens quite a bit. Um that the story has been flipped, that I'm actually the one being harmed. Um, and here's the way that she does that. And now in actual, I shouldn't say actual, but in most cases of abuse, when the blame game starts, <clears throat> we're really listening at this point because a lot of times uh, two, two main movements are happening here. Two primary objectives are happening. One is the individual is reframing the story in such a way that they're taking hurtful behavior or behavior that they perceive as hurtful and they're elevating it, right? So now instead of minimizing their behavior, they're maximizing their partner's behavior and making it equal to the sin of abuse or oppression or destruction. Uh, one may be, well, you have to understand her her nagging is incessant, Chris. It's like I can never do anything to please her. I'm always wrong. I'm never um, appreciated around here. I'm just disrespected. Now, let's say that that was 100% true. That would be, that'd be a poor experience, wouldn't it? I mean, none of us like to be in a home where we feel like nothing we can do is right. Everything that we do is challenged, and it's just constant reminders that we're inadequate. No one likes that. But were you afraid? Did you 
lose agency? Were you free to come and go? Could you openly challenge what you were hearing? Well, well, yeah. Well, that's not the same as you strangling your wife or threatening her with your fist or sending her the threatening text that included um, indications that you would kill her if she didn't comply. So the comparing and contrasting comes back to say, see, you're maximizing her behavior to the level of yours while you're minimizing yours. And that's often a big part of the blame game. The other thing is mutualizing. So in the blame game, if, if an individual can mutualize enough and get me as the helper on board to be like, wow, yeah, you guys really do have a lot of conflict. You guys both do a lot of things. And I put it all in the pot of sin rather than really viewing it as, uh, from a traditional biblical counsel point of view, who's the most responsible, right? What's the most pressing issue? I can easily get caught in collusion. Uh, I had a case not too long ago where um, he was abusive and she withheld uh, sex. And it was like, well, who's, I mean, can't we hold them both accountable? And I'm like, well, wait, what? I mean, I, mean, I, I understand 1 Corinthians 7. I feel like I do, but I'm not sure this is a 1 Corinthians 7 conversation. Like, can't we deal with the abuse first? Like, we don't even have a covenant marriage right now. We've got a, just a destructive marriage. Why are we so worried about their sexual relationships when we haven't dealt with their uh, relationship of harm and the aspect that one partner's controlling and abusing and harming another? So it's so easy to mutualize, and that's that only benefits the abusive individual. That's why they minimize their behavior, blame their partner or a substance. It was the drug's fault or the alcohol or was the pornography use. It was my past trauma. All of those are legitimate concerns that should be addressed, but they are not causative to the abuse. They are contributive, but at the end of the day, the only way we're going to be held accountable properly for our own sin is by being held accountable for our own sin. Our choices have to be highlighted. Um, and not minimized or uh, shifted over to a substance or another person or a reality or a circumstance, all of which may be contributive but not causative, okay? Uh, and then uh, denial. There can be just an outright denial. Well, I did not do that. This is a lie. Um, and those are all, all three of those, minimization, denial, and blame, those are all tricky. Like those are absolutely all things that, that, can give a counselor fits because the client or counselee is not participating with you, right? They're adversarial to you and the job that you're doing. So you need to be aware that that's going to be part of the work that you do. Uh, and so when, when our questioner here brings up Darvo, that's the first thing we're talking about, deny. And I'm going to say that also includes minimization and blame. Uh, the A is attack. And so that can be the smear campaign, you know, well, she's really the problem. It can be blamed to the point of trying to harm, uh, blame that's malicious, slanderous. Uh, it can be the, what some people refer to as the flying monkeys, getting your coalition um, of, uh, of people within the church, within the community to be on your side. And then, of course, the, the reverse victim and offender, those last three in the acronym, is what we're talking about in this podcast, which is an individual is taking your course and now he's saying that he's really the victim. And this is incredibly common, not necessarily among the course, but among men who are abusive. 
to say I'm really the victim. So let me respond, just quality control for just a second on the Men of Peace course. And and I, I will say this, there's a lot of information in there about domestic abuse. An individual should be able to take the Men of Peace course and come away with a basic understanding of domestic abuse. However, the Men of Peace course is not a training on domestic abuse. It never is advertised to be so and is not its primary purpose, nor is it a secondary purpose. It is just a side effect. You will learn a lot about domestic abuse if you take the Men of Peace self-paced course, but it's not the goal. Not at all. Right? Um, You'll learn a lot about the community if you sit in the barbershop for an hour, but that's not the primary reason why you're there. For some people it might be, right? If you're only there at the barbershop for the gossip, then uh, that's a whole other story. But I go to the barbershop to get my hair cut. One of the side effects is I hear all kinds of stories. Some I want and some I don't. There is a side effect to the Peace course. It talks a lot about domestic abuse, but its primary objective is not to teach you the dynamics and impact of abuse. It's to hold you accountable. Second, the Peace course is primarily designed to help you self-reflect and focus on yourself. In fact, it is consistently repeated throughout the course that this is not about your partner. It's not about your spouse. It's about you. It's about you. Are you doing this? What are the things that you have done? What are the things that you think? What are the things that you believe that are contributing to the ways in which you are harming your partner. And so if somebody comes out of the minute peace course and says, wow, I learned that I'm the victim, then they're bringing their presuppositions to the course, right? They're bringing their presuppositions. They're bringing that Darvo mentality into the course. And so the way I would approach it is I would probably uh, say, you know, two things. One, I think you should stop. Like, if that's how you're using the course, you really ought to stop. You know, um, it's kind of like to me the the algebra teacher who corrects your grammar on the paper. Well, I wasn't here for an English lesson, right? I was here for math. I, I, I I'm not going to, you know, work with you if your primary goal is to take the material I'm giving you and twist it. That's not what the material's for. The second thing, so I might say stop. This is not for you. And obviously you don't, you're not willing to use it the way it is. Or I may pause. I think we need to pause and really redirect what we're doing. I see what you're saying, but I think and, and believe that the reason why you're saying that you're the victim, based on all the things that we've worked on so far, is because you don't want to be held accountable for what you've really done. That's more evidence. That's more of an indication that you need this. That's more evidence that you need to do the hard work. So we're going to pause, and I'm going to invite you to start over. I'm going to invite you to go back to step one and do it right. You know, sometimes I've, I've coached basketball for years. And one of the the more irritating things about my life as a basketball coach, and I jokingly say I wish I could just go to everybody's bitty ball coaches and 
and chew them out. Um, and hopefully this makes some sense. I, I really feel like at the bitty ball level, when kids are playing upward and they're playing little kid ball and they're playing rec league ball and midget league ball, uh, I'm a firm believer that everybody should play the same defense. Everybody should play the same offense. Everybody should practice together. We should do camps together. The goal is not to win a trophy. If if you're a bitty ball coach and your entire existence is to win the preschool YMCA championship, I pity you because you can do it. You can run a zone and you can get the ball to your most athletic kid and teach your kids nothing, and you can probably win 12 to 10 in the championship game. But it's not helping the kids, right? So I get kids in high school that don't know fundamentals. They don't know footwork. They don't know defensive stance. They don't know things that, honestly, they should know by the time they get to me. And it hinders them. And so I bring all that up to say, sometimes we have to start over. It's frustrating. It's maddening sometimes, you know, to say, you know, it's really hard. I mean, you're a 17-year-old kid that can't properly move, right? It's hard. I don't know that I have time to teach you. But in this world, right, if we get five or six weeks into the Men of Peace course and he's claiming to be a victim, it's probably time to push the pause button and go back to the fundamentals. Well, you missed it. Will you start over? Or if it's just simply... I'm going to use everything I can to promote my narrative, then maybe it's time to stop and just take that back to the church or the shepherding team and say, look, this is just more evidence that he's not willing to participate. We were very clear what this is, and he's twisted it into something to to help his agenda. And I hate that. I mean, nobody likes to to have that type of response, but sometimes that's the most beneficial response we can get. And it get lets us know where we are, where our client or counselee is, and what the next steps are. So I would either stop the program or I would push a pause button and try to reset the program within the proper parameters. And as an interventionist, I would address the denial and the blame and the minimization or the DARVO, if you prefer that, that language, that this reversing victim and offender is not helping anybody. I've, I've said this in the past, and we'll see some folks agree or just some folks agree with this, some folks don't like it, but I had a guy one time, and I've used this over and over and over since. He said, well, I only feel like I'm 10, 10% responsible for this whole thing. And I said, well, instead of focusing on the 90% you don't feel you're responsible for, why don't you wrestle that 10% to the ground? Why don't you give 100% of your effort to that 10%? Because that's the only thing you can control. Like, why don't you really invest in the process and see what you can change? And I I have a feeling that the more you invest, the more you self-reflect, the more you wrestle with that 10%, that your responsibility will grow that you'll see a lot more, that your vision will expand. So I hope that's helpful. I, I certainly think that's pretty normal um, with perpetrators to play the victim, uh, and hopefully these tips and and suggestions will be helpful to you uh, as you move forward in working with, uh, with perpetrators. Thank you so much for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. We could not do this without you guys. Uh, And with that being said, if you would rate, review, subscribe, follow, whatever the platform you're listening on asks you to do, would you do that? Let them know that you value the podcast. 
Uh, we value you certainly and are so thankful that you're here week after week. Uh, and uh, we appreciate you so much. Uh, so thank you again for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. Until next time, friends, God bless.